You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us today is a repeat guest. We have John Pullman. John, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to be with you. It's always good to have John on here. And uh, I think most people who listen to the DU Podcast on a regular basis know that when we have John on here, he's either going to provide a South Dakota update or we're going to talk tactics. And that's what we're going to do today. We're, de- we're going to talk some some serious tactics. And, and this conversation is going to be based on an article that John wrote for the most recent magazine, the November-December issue. Um, and, and the article was called Stopping Traffic. And, and what this actually, what we're referring to here when stopping traffic is actually what duck hunters sometimes refer to as running traffic. John, can you kind of elaborate on that? You know, duck hunters use these weird terms sometimes, I feel like, where we're talking like, oh, I was just running traffic out there and did this. And like, what does that actually mean? Sure. Well, you know, running traffic to me is, is, uh, it's a tactic that, that I use probably as frequently as anything else. You know, it simply is when you, you know, there are days where as a hunter where you can't be on the X, you know, you know, birds that are, are leaving a roost and going to a field and you try to be on one or the other. And if, if you can't be in those places where the ducks absolutely want to be, or the ducks or geese absolutely want to be, you can't be on the X. You got to try to get someplace in between. And so that's what this is. It's, it's all about getting birds to stop somewhere other than their intended destination. And, uh, you know, for, for hunters, I think across North America, this is, uh, this is something that, that comes in really handy. It's something that we are, uh, sometimes our hand gets forced and something we have to do because we can't be on the X, like I say. And, you know, a lot of, there's just a lot of good tips in here. Things that, um, you know, the three gentlemen that I spoke with, these hunters are really good at what they do. And I, I think they shared a lot of great information for the article. Yeah. And I think when we say running traffic, I think this probably, like you kind of alluded to this, this really probably is something that nearly every single duck hunter is doing on a daily basis. I mean, there's very few people who are on the X every single day. So I think that's a good point that you brought out, that this this is one of these tactics conversations that it doesn't really matter regionally where you're at. This definitely impacts you in the way that that you can be successful. So, so we'll jump right into it here. Um, you know, you may not be able to be on the X, but how do you decide what's the best spot? You know, the first thing you mentioned is finding the right spot. So let's kind of elaborate on that and talk about who you actually used as a reference for this. Absolutely. So the uh, gentleman I visited with, his name is Tyson Keller. And Tyson's probably one of those waterfall hunters that, he's probably one of the better waterfall waterfall hunters that people probably haven't heard of. Um, you know, he is a um, lifelong resident in South Dakota, grew up along the Missouri River in Pier, central part of the state. And so he's kind of had a front row seat 
to um, some of the best waterfall hunting opportunities in the country. You know, Pier is a major staging area for both Canada geese and mallards, um, but Canada geese in particular. And so Tyson over the years has just picked up a lot of information on in terms of just bird behavior and what they do and, and how to hunt these birds. And, you know, because of the competition, hunting competition out in that area and, and other factors, you know, being on the X is not always an option for for hunters that, you know, target Canada geese coming off the Missouri River out there. And so Tyson has built kind of a, a slew of techniques to use uh, when it comes to to trafficking these birds. And, and like I say, you know, they're these Canada geese in particular, they stage up on the Lake Oahe, the big reservoir above the Oahe Dam out there. And they are, uh, they roost there and then they, they string out in various directions to feed on corn or winter wheat or whatever it may be. And so Tyson, you know, if he, if he's, uh, you know, got a day to be hunting and he, and he knows he can't be on the X or birds are using fields that he doesn't have access to. Um, first thing he does is he tries to find the flight line, a major flight line, you know, there's going to be more than one, but find a major flight line that these birds are following from the, uh, from the reservoir to where they're feeding at. And, uh, you know, he will, he'll try to use some natural features of the landscape to help him identify this line so that he can get as close to possible uh, to being directly underneath it. You know, some again, someplace between way, where they're coming from and where they're going. And so he will, um, you know, like he mentions in the, mar- in the article, it's a numbers game. And, you know, trafficking birds and, and getting them to stop someplace where they're not planning on doing it, it's a numbers game. You're only going to fool so many of them. And so you got to be underneath as many of them as you can to have the best success rate. And so that's that's his first step, finding that that major flight line, that those birds are following and then obviously trying to get permission to be uh, someplace underneath them. Yeah. I've actually been in a very similar scenario with Tyson um, in Missouri snow goose hunting where he was running Mm -hmm. traffic and pinpointing a, you know, a hill, literally a hilltop out there in Northwest Missouri for snows and man, we did it right. And he, and he kind of really set that whole thing up very similar to the way that, that you were just describing where, you know, we, we weren't able to get like in where they were feeding. Um, but he spent a lot of time glassing and knew exactly where these birds were going to fly over. And then, you know, we set a huge snow spread up there. Uh, this was several, several, several years back, but I'm not going to say what year it was because that'll definitely date us <laughs> here. But, um, no, I mean, running traffic like that, like you said, it is a true numbers game. Um, getting, getting your decoys in front of as many possible eyes. Um, but that's the next step. And this is the next one that you kind of, um, and I I thought it was the way the article was kind of set up. It really is. You find your spot, you pick your spot, you choose, you make that decision, but then you got to go to the decoys. So who did you talk to about the decoys and what's, what's the key element in decoys when running traffic? Yep. So on the decoy side of things, I talked to Tony Vandemore and Tony is, uh, you know, a familiar name to a lot of hunters and, and, uh, he's got a really successful guiding operation there in Northwest Missouri. And before, you know, before Tony ran, uh, you know, he's a co-owner of Habitat Flats, a guide there at Habitat Flats near Sumner. Before he did that, he was a public land hunter. And so he, um, you know, like a lot of folks, uh, would, you know, enter the draw in the morning to find out where he's going to be at. And, you, you know, when it comes to a public land draw, you don't have a choice where you're going to go. Sometimes you're on the X and sometimes you're not. And so what they discovered is that they had to try to find a way to stand out from everybody else when mm-hmm. they were, you know, if they were going to be in a spot that wasn't necessarily holding birds, 
And so uh, one of the things that they turned to were their decoys. And so, um, you know, they, they decided in order to stand out to, to use different decoys than everybody, everybody was using. And in this case, some Canada Goose decoys. And, uh, you know, the larger size and the colors are enough to get, to get the attention of birds that are flying nearby. And, um, you know, that's something to this day that he still uses at uh, Habitat Flats. You know, uh, folks that have ever watched any videos of Tony Place there, um, there's a, a number of, of places, a number of blinds on their property that uh, you go there in the morning, show up there in the morning, and there is not duck one <laughs> on that water. You know, it is, both spots are 100% traffic. They are located in a place, and kind of going back to what Tyson had said before, you know, what I mentioned with Tyson, that they are located in a place that puts them directly in line between where these birds are roosting and where they're feeding, and then they are... Um, uh, Tony uses these uh, a mix of mallard and Canada goose decoys to visibly get the attention of birds that are passing by, and so it is something I've seen firsthand. Uh, any hunter that's you know that's been on those places has seen firsthand how how effective that is using that oversized decoy to just provide that extra edge on in terms of visibility to get their attention. And 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 again too, like I mentioned before, it's different. It's different mm-hmm. than what other hunters are using, and uh, that is always a great tip to remember to keep in mind when you're talking about waterfall that, that are in a pressured area or it's late in the season, doing something different to help you stand out. And in terms of running traffic for Tony, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. And just to clarify, you know, for some of our listeners who are trying to envision this, he's not targeting Canada geese at all. I mean, no, it is, no, sir. yeah, I mean, it is a mallard spread with Canada geese. And the idea of this, you know, I've talked to several different people who who do do this in different ways. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Canada geese like Kelly Powers in, in West Tennessee. You know, he's using oversized black ducks. Um, mm-hmm. He puts those in his spread to really add that that next level of visibility. Um, you know, and and you can do this with maybe it's maybe it's just pintails, like a, a big mm-hmm. wad of pintails out there. You know, we do that in Arkansas quite a bit in these rice fields because you got to think around there. There's there's a blind just about every 200 yards around some areas in Arkansas, and and everyone's got their spread out there. But you have to do something just a little bit different. And we're using either full body or floater pintails that are just super bright white, not even using any mallard decoys, and really trying to create that that extra visibility um, for ducks that are just really passing by. I mean, we're, we're targeting those, those literally traffic, what we're talking about. And, and, uh, but what's the next step for Tony? He mentions motion. Absolutely. So, you know, motion is, um, you know, anybody that's, that's, spend time in a duck blind knows that uh, having motion in your decoys is really important. And, you know, Tony uses motion and whether it's, uh, whether he is, uh, on the water with spinning wing decoys or, uh, or a jerk string, or, you know, even I know other folks too, when they're out in the field using a flag, but he'll use motion just like he would a uh, duck call at a distance. He's going to use, he's going to be aggressive with it. A lot of motion to get their attention, then tone it back down when birds get in close, but it is a, it's an essential tool for him. Um, you know, and I know, like I mentioned, jerk strings, spinning wing decoys, they use a lot of ice eaters, uh, too, just to kind of create motion, a ripple on the water. But like I say, he'll use it as a call. The further away they are, the more that he's going to use. And as they get closer, he'll tone it down. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, uh, pretty much everybody out there knows that motion is key. Um, but at sometimes doing something that you wouldn't really think about, like even flagging, they're, you know, 
flagging for ducks is not really common, but if you're flagging a goose flag out there, um, like maybe a Canada goose flag, something like that, or in, you know, down here, people are using snow goose flags for, uh, for specs even, and just adding some layer of motion to that decoy spread gives you an advantage over the next guy. Exactly. And, it, you know, again, it goes back to point number one, which is that these birds are, you know, they are not planning on stopping mm-hmm. where you're setting up at. And so doing what you can to get their attention, doing something different, whether that's the, you know, the, the type or size of decoys, the motion that you're using, you have to do something to get their attention and, and get them close to you so that you have a chance to, you know, whether through calling or whatever it may be to get them to, to finish. But you got to think outside the box when it comes to trafficking birds, because again, you're, you're trying to get them to do something that they weren't planning on doing on that day. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have the next element to uh, to running traffic and really just a overall, you know, it's like we're, we're going through the steps here of, of setting up, you know, a basic day of duck hunting. You're planning, you set your decoys, um, you know, you're, you're finding your spot, you're setting your decoys, and then, you know, the next step is calling. So kind of talk about how calling plays a factor here. Sure. I spoke with uh, Paul O'Donnell. Paul hunts out on the uh, uh, Chesapeake Bay out in Maryland. And, you know, he hunts different situations out there, whether it's tidal creeks or cornfields or, or uh, you know, any of the different situations you can find in that area. And um, calling is a really important part of, of his game. You know, again, that's an area where you've got a good concentration of birds that, that stage historically. You know, Chesapeake Bay is a famed destination for waterfall and waterfall hunters. But you're not always able to be on the X. You know, I've hunted out there a couple of times. And in both, in both cases, you know, we were in, in, in situations where we weren't hunting where the birds planned on being you're running traffic and trying to get their attention and and um, Paul uses calling. I mean, that's a, a big thing for him, and and he calls for attention. I think that's the the, the subhead that I use in the article is that he's he uses his um, calling, whether it's candy geese or ducks, to to get their attention and to uh, try to convince them to come down. You know, but it's not it's not always being big either, though. Too, you know, he mentions in the article that um, you know initially you maybe have to get really aggressive with the calling, but you can't be afraid to tone it down either uh, as they get closer. And and that all comes down to reading what the birds, you know, how they're reacting to what you're doing. Um, and that's you know again, it's kind of similar with uh, with the motion that Vandemore mentioned earlier too. That you know, watching birds' reaction to what you're doing. And as they're trying to finish, if they're if they're if they want to be called all the way down the water, that's what you do. But if they're showing you that that's not what um, what they want to hear, that you gotta gotta tone things back and, and soften things up a little bit. But again, he uses that calling to get their attention, make sure that they see the decoys, uh, and uh, gives them a fighting chance to finish those birds that are running by. Yeah, I always laugh when you we talk to some of these guys. And um, I did an article on early running traffic on early season candidates um, in. July or August, you know, of this year. And I talked to Field Hudnall and we were just kind of talking about how he calls at some of these birds. It's a very similar situation that you described with Tyson, but these birds are like coming off the Ohio River into these freshly cut ag fields. And Field, you know, one of his big tips that that I that I really kind of chuckled at, because he's a he's a world champion goose caller. You know, if anybody can call a goose in, it's gonna be a world champion goose caller. But he's like, Yeah, man, he's like, I don't, I don't even call at him. 
And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, if they're coming right in and they're doing it, he's like, some some of these birds, if he's in the right spot and he's got his decoys set right, I mean, he's willing to get aggressive on the call, and he will. But he said, normally, he's like, we don't even touch our calls. He's like, we're they're relying entirely on these big goose spreads and, and really drawing these birds out of that flight line um, into their field with literally no calling at all. So, you know, that's one thing for hunters to keep in mind is you can be really aggressive, you can be really loud and kind of drum up business business as a buddy of mine that I hunt with always says when he's just blowing on his call. Um, you know, you can do that. You can take that approach or you can go all the way to the opposite side where you just don't even touch the call. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I guess Paul mentions in the article too, just on that, on the, in terms of being aggressive, um, that in terms of selecting the calls that you use for that day too, that's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, um, a finishing style call or something that you, you know, you can blow real softly on is, is important. But if you're, if you are <clears throat> trying to be aggressive with these birds, you may want to have a call, whether it's a, a short read goose call or, or a duck call that can, uh, that can make that, that big aggressive sound. And so that's just something to keep in mind too, that if you know you're going to be working birds, trafficking birds, uh, you're going to have to get birds attention at a distance to make sure you have the right call in your lander to be able to do that job. You know, one of the next steps here in running traffic is, you know, the hot, basically what kind of blonde, what kind of field material, what kind, you know, how can you stay away from being seen by these high flying birds and probably large numbers of them. Um, and, and how did you go about this approach? I mean, were you just asking like, Hey, how do you hide in these fields? Or were, were you, you know, did you go into this kind of thinking you knew you and your dog are a team fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina pro plan sport made for hardworking dogs of all ages. Every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. What, like, either Tyson or Tony or somebody was going to say? You know, I mean, if, when you think about putting together a hunt, and when I was thinking about this article, you know, those are the three things that, you know, the, the scouting, finding the place to be, the decoys and the calling. And then the, the, the other main aspect, when any, any type of hunt you're talking about, you're talking, you're thinking about how you're going to stay hidden, how you're going to stay concealed from these birds. And, you know, something that, that Tyson said when I was visiting with him and has a great line, I think it's the subhead in the article, which is no hide, no hunt. And that's something that goes into his planning for every hunt, whether he's on the X or not, but it's even more, I think more important when you are, you know, trying to traffic birds, because you don't want to give, give them a single reason to doubt you know, a single reason to get, you know, to be weary about what's going on. And so, um, concealment is something that, you know, that all three of them agreed on is really important. And, uh, it is something, you know, Tyson on the scouting side of things, he takes into consideration when he is trying to pick a field, to select a field to hunt is, is that, does it have the, uh, you know, a place where I can hide the hunters? And so he will, he will look for, you know, whether it's a, a fence row that's got some cover on it where he can put an A-frame or it's a, um, a cornfield that's, that, uh, you know, he'll look for some, maybe some taller stalks, um, maybe where the, where the combine was turning, to, was turning around and the, the header picked up a little bit on the combine and it left some taller stalks where he could hide some uh, um, layout blinds in the field. Um, 
depressions in the field, anywhere where you can kind of break up the outline of the blind, he's going to take those things into consideration when he picks that location uh, in order to help stay concealed. Um, and uh, Tony, you know, he mentioned this is something I, he's, he's told me a number of times. And if you, you hunt there in those permanent blinds that they have, you'll notice how meticulous they are about keeping them covered. Um, he is constantly rebrushing the blinds throughout the course of the year. You know, they keep big slash piles behind the blinds so they can do just that. You know, because every time uh, uh, somebody rises up out of the blind to, to shoot or, you know, hunters that are leaning out uh, of the blind to, to look at, um, you know, look at what's going on around them, dogs getting in out of the blind, stuff like that. You know, that the, the cover that you have on those blinds, there's wear and tear to that like there is anything else. And so constantly re-adding um, uh, brush to, to keep that blind concealed, especially those black holes on those permanent blinds, the openings where the hunters pop up, um, just really important. And then Paul O'Donnell, you know, the thing that he mentioned was that he tries to, um, you know, if he's hunting a, a hedgerow, he's going to use cover from that exact area. If he's hunting a cornfield, he's going to hunt cover from that exact field in order to keep things looking natural and consistent with with what is already out there um i it's it's you know you can add a base layer if you have an a-frame blind or layout blinds adding a base layer of fast grass or something like that so that it you don't have to completely grass out your blind every single time that's i think that's a a, a smart thing to do but you have to add you know um cover from the surrounding area where you're going to be on top of that to make it look like it fits in you know um, again, not giving these birds any reasons to, to second guess their decision to come take a look at your decoys or whatever. So, you know, it's, it, there's great tips in there in the article from each of them about what to do. And, and I think, and they're, they're great tips, whether you're running traffic or on the X, I mean, it's, it's staying concealed is, is probably should be priority number one when it comes to, uh, to having a good day in the field. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think most people really try to, I mean, we talk about blind building and blind brushing quite a bit. I mean, you and I did an entire podcast last season mm -hmm. just on concealment, but you know, I, we, I made that, I mean, I talk about this all the time and I made that, this mistake just a couple months ago in Northern Minnesota, we were hunting up there and we were hunting a, uh, hunting an, a field, but it, it had, it had beans in it that were cut. And when we got in there in the morning, um, we were like, all right, well, you know, let's just try and brush these, these blinds in. And a guy had a hay bale. And so we, we had, tore this hay bale up and we're brushing the blinds out. Well, then the sun came up and we realized that there was a little more green vegetation than mm -hmm. what we originally thought. And it really, you know, we weren't using the same vegetation that was in the field. Now we, we shot some geese, but I think we got lucky with them, you know, more than in, once the sun really came out and kind of burned off the fog, like we were in big trouble. Those birds knew exactly that we were there and it was, it was not going to work out. And what that was, was just not really, really paying attention to exactly what was in the field as far as cover um, and making a bad choice. So, you know, that's one thing that I tell people. It's a very good comment where, you know, he talks about no hide, no hunt. You know, do you really want to go through these steps of loading all your decoys out there, getting set? You know I mean? It's a process. And, and then, have the birds just flare off when, you know, you could have looked at me like, man, there's just nowhere to hide there. Let's find a different field. Let's try something else. Yep. Absolutely. You know, Chris too, I think it's A-frames have become so popular in recent years mm -hmm. um, because of the, the space that they give hunters and the comfortable, you know, being able to sit up and rather than laying on your back, but those big blinds, um, you know, they are in particular are, are ones that you have to really be careful of, of making sure they blend in, picking spots along a, 
a fence row or along a slough edge or wherever you're using them, making sure that you are doing everything you can to break up the outline of that big blind. Um, and, uh, I know I don't mention, uh, this gentleman in the article, but Ben Fuyan, a buddy of mine who does a lot of guiding here in South Dakota, he runs A-frames a lot and he runs traffic a lot. And just like these three hunters in the article, it, it's priority number one is figuring out if I'm going to use an A-frame on this day, making sure that I've got, um, a suitable place to put it so that I, it doesn't stick out that, that, um, that, you know, we, we can stay concealed. Um, and again, Making sure that he's 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 doing everything he can to stack the odds in his favor uh, to traffic those birds and and uh, and have a good day in the field. But yeah, concealment is is priority number one. I mean, it has to be. And like you say, to go through all the effort with everything else, and then only to to, to try to take a shortcut when it comes to hiding is uh, just not a good thing to do. So uh, yeah, put some effort into concealment, and, and it should pay off for you. Yeah, no, and and this is kind of more of a personal, you know, rather than from the article. But I know you recently switched to A frames, um, and how's how's that worked out for you this year? And are you abiding by your own advice? Where you're, uh, <laughs> you know, are you going natural cover? Are you going synthetic? Like what what are you going with? A combination, a combination mm-hmm. of both. But I will I will say that I had a uh, duck hunt um, where I did I did set up the A frame smack dab in the middle of the field, but I was on the X though too, so that made a difference. And and they didn't know any of the wiser um but that's but that's when you're on the x but i you know i do if we're if we're running the a-frames really we really try to keep them in uh in the fence line most often you know but a slew edge too if you've got a a, some taller grass something where you can you can set that blind up against it just to help break up the outline a little bit um i do keep a base layer on mine just to make it a little bit easier out in the field so that you're mm-hmm. not having to completely grass out the whole thing. But then, you know, some, uh, some garden clippers or some, a uh, uh, small handsaw, something like that, that we can cut cover when we get out there and, and finish it off. But, uh, yeah, I, I love hunting out of them. It's just much more comfortable for me as I, I'm getting older, as I realize, uh, it's, it's just easier for me to sit on a bucket rather than lay on my back. But, um, they're a great tool to have, uh, for any hunter, but especially if you're, if you uh, appreciate being comfortable and, and, and whether you're running traffic around the X, they're great to use. Yeah, no. And, and I've, you know, run into over the course of the past couple of years, run into guys who, you not only bring in an A-frame or in sometimes even layouts, um, but they're bringing along like a small gas-powered trimmer. Oh, and for they're, sure. they're literally out there, you know, chopping huge bundles and really spending additional time brushing yes. those things out and getting them very well hidden because that's important. And, and kind of like Tony mentioned in the article, you know, rebrushing, not just even after the hunt, but during, during. the hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something for people to keep in mind. The first time you jump out of that blind or the dog runs up to the front of it or, you know, whatever happens, you know, th- all that brush is coming off. And so, you know, taking five minutes out of your morning hunt to spend additional time with concealment is is probably um, something that sets apart the people who are really successful on a consistent basis. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, you know, guys that I see, uh, whether it's Tony or Ben or other people that I hunt with that, you know, when they, after the, you know, if they've had birds come in and, and they're, the dogs are out fetching birds and they've got a little break in the action, that's what they do. They go grab a hand of brush and they just keep, they start stuffing stuff in, you know, brushing around the blind. Um, like you say, it, it, not even five minutes, it's 30 seconds, 45 seconds, just to grab a handful, stuff some in where you see it, where it needs to be. And, and uh, you know, the hunt goes on and 
just something to think about. One of those small little things that uh, if you can continue to do that as a hunter, that your success is going to go up and it's, it doesn't take a whole lot of time or effort to do, but you just got to think about it, you know? Yeah, no, this has been great, John. Before I get you out of here, I just want to, I should have done this at the beginning. Um, how's the season been kind of rolling in for, for you there in South Dakota? Um, keep in mind that where this recording date is uh, November 29th. So we're creeping into December, but you know, how's your duck season been so far? Sure. Our regular duck season here in South Dakota ends in about a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, some extended seasons along the Missouri River and out west. You know, um, early season was good. I think we had decent duck production in South Dakota, like we had mentioned before uh, earlier in the year. Uh, just we had the moisture here that other places didn't, where we had some decent local production. Um, things, um, gray ducks were a staple. Widgeon, gaddies, green wing, green wing teal, um, they uh, made hunting a lot better uh, than it probably um, it, that it was in some places. It just seemed like we had really good numbers of those birds early, uh, which was unusual. Um, and then that November uh, Veterans Day storm that, that kind of locked up Canada, mm-hmm. um, cleared out portions of North Dakota. We saw a really good influx of birds, snow geese, Canada geese, mallards. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I thought that we were we were going to lose more than we did. Um, uh, there were some some teen low overnights in the teens for temperatures where I thought we were going to lose a lot more open water. And we, we've lost a lot of small stuff, but the big water basically is still wide open. Yeah. And so I think birds are hanging out here um, a little bit longer than I, than I expected them to. Um, but overall, I think, you know, I, I, it's been a good year. I think that... Um, in terms of harvest and things like that, I think hunters, uh, myself or whomever, you know, other people that I know have had, uh, have had a good year. Um, and it's right now it's up to mother nature to see how long these birds are going to hang out here and, and see how much, how many more opportunities we're going to have. But all things considered, I don't think we have any complaints here in South Dakota. No, that's awesome. And it's just kind of shocked me. And I, I, I realize this, but, um, it shocked me when you said you got a week left in your regular season. It kind of, it, it sends me into panic mode. <laughs> um, down here because you know we get so amped up for it all year long and then we get duck season and it opens and then i'm just like oh my gosh it's gonna end it's gonna it's gonna end soon and so i really you know I, that's when i start kind of panicking to get my time in and and spend some additional time outside and um really just hearing you say that it did it kind of sent a shock i was like oh no <laughs> um you mentioned yeah, you, i'll go ahead well i'm sorry oh, i was just gonna say it's it's a you know it's amazing how fast the season goes. And so, yeah, you got to make, make use of the days that you have. And, and, um, and then, cause the off season will be here before we know it. So, yeah. And you probably spent some time chasing pheasants too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We've had, you know, we had, uh, with the drought, uh, bird numbers in terms of, of pheasants were kind of up in the air what we were going to have. But what we've discovered is that those areas that had a decent moisture where they've got good habitat on the ground, bird numbers are pretty good. And then with the emergency haying that they did on the CR, on the conservation reserve program acres, um, it's kind of concentrated uh, pheasants a little bit. So again, we're, if you've got areas with, that have some decent habitat, you know, I think you're running into fairly decent bird numbers. And so we've, that season for us goes until the end of January. So we've got a little bit of time there to play around. And I wouldn't mind having a few inches of snow on the ground to, 
to uh, finish off the pheasant season. I'm guessing some hunters, duck hunters down south wouldn't mind if we get some snow up here too. So yeah, about about 14 inches. John. <laughs> That's what you got. Well, hey, let's meet I'm only seven. saying that. that. I'm only saying that for the habitat, John. I just, you know, just the habitat's what's most important up there. But but in reality, yeah, we need about 14 inches of snow to push some ducks down here to hunters in the south. I know everyone's kind of waiting on that to happen. Unfortunately, it's really warm up there right now. So and you mentioned you, you guys are you're still holding a whole bunch of snow geese up there. Yeah, snow goose numbers are pretty pretty insane. Um, you know, and and it's it's. I mean, there are a lot of snow geese. Period. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's and I so I know there are birds down south and in Nebraska and Kansas and Arkansas. I know there have been birds that have been moving through here, um, but we still have quite a few here. And um, you know, for them, it, it just seems like it's if they don't if they have access to feed if there's no if there's little or no snow cover on the ground they really don't they won't go i mean yeah. they will they'll sit on the ice if they have to um but i know there's the larger uh, water bodies are still open and so you know i know it's we're knocking on the door of december and you would think that these birds should be further south but they have zero reason to leave right now because there's mm-hmm. plenty of food out there and there's open water and so we need some cold temps and we need some snow to, to push those birds out of here. And that goes for mallards and, and Canada geese too. But so that's, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, it's not unusual for us to have snow geese here, um, you know, the week after Thanksgiving. But like I say, it's the, the reason they're here is that they've got everything that they need. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're not going to leave if they don't have to, that's for no. sure. Well, cool, John, this has been great. I appreciate you taking some time to, you know, talk about running traffic and, and even providing a little update on your duck season in, in South Dakota, uh, how all the birds are staging up there and we're just waiting on it to get cold. I'll do what I can, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John, thanks a lot. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, John Pullman, for coming on the show and talking about running traffic. And really, the focus of it is stopping traffic. I'd like to thank Chris Isaac, our producer, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the VU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.